Good morning once again. Today we are continuing in our teaching series, our learning adventure called Be Beautiful Attitudes. And uh, it's a time spent in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically in his Beatitudes, which I think most of us are somewhat familiar with, but I think it's good for us to uh, spend intentional time really digging deeper and seeking to understand what it is Jesus actually is saying to his audience um, as he says these Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those, uh, because his intention was not just to give us information, right? The life in Christ is about transformation. So this is time well spent to actually push into what Jesus is saying and to seek to learn and understand and become that, that which he is uh, describing, right? I think a lot of people have spent years and years in church learning a whole bunch of stuff, but also at the same time, ironically, seeing it fail to transform them. And so I really hope we can do better than that. And so I, that's why I think it's important to spend intentional time in places like the Beatitudes. Um, this is week number 10. This is an 11-part series, so next week's our last Sunday in Beautiful Attitudes. So I hope this... Um, well, I just hope you're paying attention because it's coming to an end uh, and we'll move on from there. But uh, this week is called Peacemaker. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? I recently read the story of a man named William Fogarty who, in May of 1946, he got a parking ticket. He got a parking ticket in Norfolk, Norfolk, Norfolk. Anyone? It's not Norfolk, it's probably Norfolk. I don't know how you say it, but anyway. Norfolk, Virginia. Fogarty... He bought a $1 money order to pay that ticket in 1946, but he forgot to send it. He forgot to mail it. Many decades later, uh, in the year 2006, in fact, Fogarty was looking through a box of collectibles uh, from his Navy days, and he found an old wallet containing the money order. Though it was 60 years later, Fogarty wrote a letter to the Norfolk Police Department and included the money order. The Norfolk police officer, Chris Amos, said Fogarty's 60-year-old money order would not be cashed. Instead, the department plans to frame it and put it on display in their museum. Officer Amos said, it's one of those, it's one of those restoring your faith in mankind things. It restores your faith in mankind. There is no wrong so small to set right. There is no wrong too small to set right, not even a $1 debt from 60 years ago. I love that line. That's kind of the takeaway from that story. There is no wrong too small to set right, even a $1 debt from 60 years ago. This story makes me think, of uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, where he tells us, hey, you are to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to set things to right. You are to do whatever you can to make things right in your life, no matter how small they might be. And get this, no matter who started it. Sometimes that's where I get hung up so badly. I know that there's an offense. I know that there's something I need to go and seek reconciliation. I need to make right. But it just comes down to that pure basic fact. I didn't start it. It's not my fault. But here Jesus doesn't let us off the hook, does he? 
He says, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that another believer has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, go and make peace with that person, and then come back and offer your gift. Do you hear it? If you remember that there's another believer who has something against you. In my mind, that seems backwards, right? It should read, if you remember that you have something against somebody else. Right? And surely it includes that. But really, Jesus comes at it from this whole different angle. It says, hey, if you remember that you've offended somebody, if someone has something against you, even if it's not your fault, do what you can to make peace with that person. So peacemaking. Man, we love the idea of peace. But peacemaking, we might have a little more of a fraught relationship with peacemaking because it's hard. And we live in a world that makes peacemaking hard. We live in a world where making peace is hard, hard work. It is a daily challenge confronting every single living person, and it requires a certain sort of dying to self. Have you ever had to eat crow? Have you ever had to accept blame? Have you ever had to fess up, own up to what you did? It feels like dying. And in fact, that's what's happening. You are dying a little bit to yourself. And that's exactly what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, there's been times where you would rather go through the rest of your life without ever talking to this person again than to stand before them and say, will you forgive me? Swallowing so much pride, swallowing so much anger, swallowing so much hurt, swallowing so much that we feel like we might actually choke or explode, we don't know where this is going to end, but it's not going to end well. It's hard to give up on our need to be vindicated. It's difficult for us to give up on our need to win. We want to win. We want to be victorious. We don't want to take the blame. It feels so unfair to let go of offenses. It feels so beyond us to extend olive branches to undeserving people who have made us so mad. Undeserving people who have intentionally trampled on us, uh, violated us, taken what was not theirs. When intrusive family members insist on being intrusive, when obnoxious co-workers insist on being obnoxious, anyone, anyone have those? Why do they insist on being such? People. When hurtful things happen and we lay in bed for hours reliving it, stewing about it, obsessing over it, and plotting our revenge. Does anyone have imaginary conversations in the shower where we just level the ultimate smackdown on this person? Man, my thinking is so clear. My argumentation is so cogent and effective in the shower. Man, it never translate into re translates into real life. I don't know, am I alone in that? Man, we're, we're wizards in the shower. It's crazy. Being called to this, this is when Jesus' teachings on peacemaking become really hard. And to make matters worse, in our always-on culture, it doesn't help matters either. 
We have 24-hour news feeds. We have our social media, our Facebook feeds that are constantly holding up the offense du jour, the offense of the day. Just in case you didn't have something in your personal life to be offended about or upset about, they're just going to provide this unending list of things to make you mad right there in front of our faces. I wrote a little soliloquy here that I think hits all the bases. Okay, so bear with me. If everyone's a little bit irked by the end of this little next statement, I did my job. Oh. I was a thespian in high school. Are you feeling good this morning? No stress? No anxiety? Everything's okay in your world? Great. Well, you must not have heard what Trump just said. Did you hear who he burned with an insult? Oh man, perhaps you don't know about what happened with that, that Antifa climate activist in Portland. Oh, the one who wants to abolish the police department. The one who wants to topple, topple all those statues. You know the one. Oh, and did you hear? You know, it's the same one that was clubbed with an endangered baby seal. He was clubbed with a, an endangered baby seal who was shot by a border patrol agent while attempting to climb the border wall. And did you know that that baby seal was from Mexico? That baby seal was undocumented and transgender. And did you know that that self-same border patrol agent posted a video of himself in blackface in the 1990s and recently was spotted wearing a MAGA hat and seen. Did I touch all the bases there? The offense of the day that's constantly in front of us when we go on social media or visit the news, everybody's offended. That's become a commodity. Offense is a marketable commodity now. If you're doing okay, that's not okay. It's like the media, our society just needs everyone to be outraged about something. It's not okay to be at peace in the world. That's the sense I get. Letting go of offenses has always been a hard thing to do. Letting go. Letting go. It's always been challenging. Think about the people with Jesus on that hillside in Matthew chapter 5. All of whom were living under Roman occupation. And the Romans were just the latest occupying force under which they were living. But everyone listening to Jesus that day was living under Roman occupation. Many in Jesus' audience were very, very eager to cast off their foreign oppressors and to avenge the injustice by any means necessary, including violence. There were people in his audience that day that thought it would be perfectly okay to see every Roman soldier dead. To each person listening that day, Jesus' identification of working for peace with being called the children of God was scandalous. It was shocking to the Jewish listener. Do you understand that? Those who work for peace will be called the children of God. Can you get a sense of that? How that slaps right up against their sense of injustice? Of offense? Hey, if you want to be called a child of God, here's how you do that. You work for peace. Whew, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. It was shocking for all the Jews to hear. This was perhaps the hardest of all to hear by a group of the Jews called the Zealots. 
It was hardest of all for the zealots to accept. The zealots were members of a Jewish sect that were noted for their uncompromising opposition to pagan Rome and to the polytheism it professed. The zealots were an aggressive political party whose concern for the national and religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise even Jews who sought peace. It led them to despise even their fellow Jews who were willing to accept peace and uh, conciliation with the Roman authorities. So they looked with disdain on Rome, but they looked with disgust at any Jew who thought peace was a good idea. So I'm hoping to help you here with, with the ears of a zealot in that moment. For Jesus to say, hey, those who work for peace will be called the children of God. That like, the, you imagine the record scratching to a stop in that moment? It's like, I mean, the Beatitudes are flowing along very nicely up to this point. Then all of a sudden, Jesus unspools that one. It's like, Everyone's eyes get a little bigger. Looks of incredulity at Jesus. Like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? I thought you were on our team. I thought you were on our team. And here you say that the children of God will be those who work for peace. Surely you don't mean peace with Rome. So if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, let's listen. Imagine yourself as a zealot listening here to Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All right, zealot, that sounds good, right? God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. <laughs> right on. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Who's more humble than us, right? God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Yes, for they will be satisfied. Bring it. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All right, stay in your lane, Jesus. God blesses those who are pure of heart, whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Okay. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they, for they will be called the children of God. And the record scratches to a stop. It's no wonder that Jesus ended up crucified. His message was so ill-suited to his audience sometimes. In this moment, it's no wonder that Jesus ended up crucified. He, he, he offended the Pharisees, but he infuriated the zealots. To anyone in power or anyone in a position of influence, Jesus quickly became a threat, but a threat not in the way expected of the Messiah. He became an unexpected threat. How was Rome ever to be overthrown if we are meek? How is Rome ever to be overthrown if we go about forgiving all of their many trespasses? How will Rome ever be destroyed? How could Jesus ever be the Messiah if he won't rise up? How could he be Messiah if he's not going to be Messiah and take Rome head on? The prophets have, have prophesied this. How could he not come and set us free? A conquering Messiah king who comes along teaching peacemaking, who comes along teaching mercy and humility? Who is this? No thanks. If that's Messiah, we don't want it. No thanks. You clearly aren't who we want, and you clearly aren't who we were looking for, so please now go and die. 
That's essentially the response that Jesus was receiving from a lot of his listeners, especially the zealots. Like, if you're not going to fulfill our expectations, you can go die. Go die now. But the thing is, Jesus didn't come to simply fulfill our expectations or scratch our itch or fulfill our need for revenge. Jesus came to actually be Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. He promised God's blessing to peacemakers. Jesus, the living, abiding Son of God, says, Blessed are those who make peace. And further, by working for peace, you are receiving the highest blessing of all. You will be called, what? The children of God. When you set your heart, when you set your hands to working toward peace, you will be called children of God. And when you actively pursue peace, you become identified with God as your Father. By peacemaking, by setting your heart on making peace in the world, you become identified with God, but you also find your place in His family. This is how, having this attitude, the attitude like Christ, we become more and more at home in God's family. In the Believer's Bible Commentary, uh, it says this, A blessing is pronounced on the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Notice that the Lord is not speaking about people with a peaceful, disposi- a peaceful disposition or those who love peace. He is referring to those who actively intervene to make peace. Not just the appreciators of peace, but those who actually actively work and intervene to make peace. The natural approach is to watch strife from the sidelines. Guilty. I don't like to get involved. I just want to watch it from the sidelines and uh, just be available if anyone needs to pray. Right? (laughs) Right, we get that. The natural approach is to watch strife from the sidelines. The divine approach is to take positive action toward creating peace, even even if it means taking abuse and invective. Peacemakers are called children of God. This is not how they become children of God. That can only happen by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. But by making peace, believers manifest themselves as children of God, and God will one day acknowledge them as people who bear the family likeness. Do you get that at the end? There will be a time where God looks at you and is like, you look like one of my kids. When I look at you, when I look at the life you lived, you resemble family. You belong here. This is how we uh, come to bear the family likeness. Now Jesus, as the Son of God, He came as the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus came bringing peace on earth and goodwill toward mankind. Thus, we too go forth as children of God, doing what? Well, no surprise. Working for peace and fostering goodwill between God and mankind and mankind and mankind. Do you understand this dual role we have of being peacemakers? Inviting people into peacemaking between them and God, yes, but also going out eager to see peace fostered between people. So there's this vertical as well as this horizontal dynamic in our peacemaking call. Dirk Navis says, The peacemaking envisioned and embodied by Christ has two orientations, toward God and toward man. Following in the footsteps of their master, the citizens of Christ's kingdom are called to labor with both aims before them. 
Most basically, peacemakers are those who proclaim and apply the gospel in evangelism and in, gospel resol in conflict resolution. The free, undeserved grace that secured our peace with God is the same grace needed to make peace in the hearts of others. Have you understood your call in following Jesus to include both that vertical and horizontal dynamic? That we're not called to just see people get saved. That same grace sends us out to see people reconciled to each other as well. It becomes clear the working for peace that Jesus commends here is not a passive conflict avoidance or an unwillingness to get involved. It requires courage on our part, bravery for us to step into the mess sometimes. Notice he says, God blesses those who work. God blesses those who work for peace, requiring our active participation in the healing labor of overcoming offenses and restoring relationships. Man, may God use each and every one of us to restore relationships, to see people brought back together because we love Jesus and we hope in Him, believing that His call is an empowered call, that we can go out and see broken relationships mended, broken relationships healed, a peacemaker engages conflict, not to inflame it, but to resolve it. A peacemaker is one whose posture is primarily active, relentless in the pursuit of justice, harmony, repentance, and reconciliation. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do you and me, how do we become relentless in the pursuit of justice, harmony, repentance, and reconciliation. Well, I'd like to leave you with this, and I'd like to, to, to hammer in some, some, some pegs here for you to hang some thoughts on, because it'd be foolish for us to finish our time together without some practical ways to go about seeing peace made in our lives, right? So where do we, be, where do we start in becoming peacemakers? Well, I'd like to point our attention to uh, something Ken Sandy writes in his book called The Peacemaker. Has anyone ever read Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker? Great book. But he, he says there's, he, he presents the four G's of peacemaking. So if you love alliteration, you're in for a treat here. The four G's of alliteration. He says, first, glorify God. Number two, get the log out of your eye. Number three, gently restore and number four, go and be reconciled. So glorify God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore, go and be reconciled. So the first one, glorify God. We are to seek to glorify God first and foremost. That is where we begin from. Check your heart. If you're not first seeking to glorify God and what happens next, you need to wait and make sure that you're starting from the right place. If we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for what? For the glory of God. Everything we do, not just peacemaking, but it includes peacemaking, do it for the glory of God. 
Biblical peacemaking is motivated, guided by a deep desire to bring honor to God by revealing the reconciling love and power of Jesus Christ. Is that why you desire peace in this relationship? Is this why you're working toward peace in the world, that God might be glorified? That you might become an agent of the reconciling love and power of Jesus Christ? As we draw on His grace, and as we follow His example, as we put Jesus' teachings into practice, we find freedom from the impulsive, self-centered decision-making that we so easily fall into. We become more and more free from decision-making that makes conflicts actually worse. Have you ever done that? Tried to fix things with gasoline? <laughs> it's like you, you tried to fix it, but it only got worse because your motives were wrong? We become more and more able to give praise and glory to God by displaying the power of the gospel in our lives. There's a, there's a basic fact there. The gospel has to do a healing work in us before the gospel can do a healing work in this situation. So we've got to start from a place where our heart is set on glorifying God. So glorify God, the second step. Get the log out of your eye. Matthew 7, 35. Well, let's see. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Mir, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. <laughs> I love the Bible. Hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. <laughs> so good. So true. But so challenging. Attacking others only invites counterattacks. Punching others only invites counterpunches. This is why Jesus teaches us to face up to our own contributions in a conflict before we focus on what others have done. Before we go about pointing out what others have done, deal first with what you've done, your contribution to that conflict. When we overlook others' minor offenses and when we honestly admit our own faults, our opponents will often respond in kind. Have you ever seen a conflict completely diffused because you didn't do what they expected? That you came in uh, remorseful, seeking forgiveness, owning up to what you did? Man, talk about leaving people with nothing <laughs> to fall back on. They don't know how to respond when you said, hey, you're right. Everything you said, that's right and it grieves my heart. And I want to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? <sighs> sure. Sure. Sometimes when we take that first step, it gives permission to the other person to do the same. As tensions decrease, the way may be open for sincere discussion, negotiation, and reconciliation. Because really that's key in conflict resolution. We have to call it by its right name, but one of us has to be willing to lose sometimes. One of us has to give up the right, our need to win sometimes in order for reconciliation to take place. Sometimes we're just real stubborn. So, glorify God. The second one is get the log out of your eye. The third is gently restored. Turn to Galatians 6, 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. When others fail to see their contributions to a conflict, we sometimes need to graciously 
show them their fault. Key word, <laughs> graciously. Graciously show them their fault. If they refuse to respond appropriately, Jesus calls us to involve respected friends. Jesus tells us, hey, take some respected friends, take some church leaders or some other objective individuals who can help, help encourage repentance, who can help motivate them toward restoring peace. Okay, you can look to Matthew chapter 18 for Jesus' guidance on this. Hey, if someone's really being a knucklehead and you've got to call them out, go to them in private. And if they won't listen, take a trusted friend. And if that doesn't work, bring it before the church. And then if that doesn't work, kick them out of the fellowship for a time. Treat them as a corrupt tax collector that has nothing to do with this fellowship. They're not interested in peacemaking in the hopes that they will come back into that conversation and, and actually... Uh, after suffering, desire peace as well. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20 is what you can look at for that. Okay, the fourth G in peacemaking, uh, according to Ken Sandy, go and be reconciled. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, here we come full circle. We come full circle back to that verse that we looked at at the very beginning. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Finally, peacemaking involves a commitment to restoring damaged relationships and negotiating just agreements. When we forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us, uh, and as we seek solutions that satisfy others' interests as well as our own, the debris of conflict is cleared away and the door is open to genuine peace. One thing you might be finding surprising in this is like we have to press into the chaos. We have to press into the conflict in order for it to actually be healed and, and, and remedied. So often I, I feel like I just want to stay, keep my distance just kind of have a give it some space and it will fix on its own. But often, most often, I would say, real conflict doesn't heal by leaving it alone. It requires us to be active and to work for it. So God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Who is God calling you to go to today? Who is God instructing your heart? <laughs> to go to this week and make peace with? Has your worship, your walk, your ability to join with Jesus in His mission, has it been stunted because of a lack of forgiveness? A lack of a desire to see, to do the work of peacemaking? Guys, here's the thing. Some of you are sitting there thinking about someone, thinking about a situation. And I don't think this, this passage has come up today on accident. Are you following Jesus? If you are, then you are called to go and make peace. Perhaps today you need to leave your gift at the altar. You need to go and make peace and then come back. There is no wrong too small to set right. Not even a $1 debt from 60 years ago. Oh, this is going to get weird, but... I'm going to ask Nathan to come and play some music. We don't do this very often. But because there's this urgency to what Jesus is telling us, I know that there's some people here that have a closed door in their heart. 
a past wound or a conflict, a hurt that's been unaddressed. And I take it fairly literally that Jesus, Jesus says, if you come to the altar to offer your sacrifice and you remember, then you're to leave it there and go and be intentional about making it right. And so I don't want to make this super awkward and I'm not going to do a big, you know, big haired altar call or anything, but we're going to just have some music playing and we're going to take an intentional few moments. I'm going to sit right over there. And if you need to take that step to come and symbolically even just leave that gift at the altar with the commitment that this week you're going to go and, see, and seek forgiveness, to make peace, I'd invite you to come and I'd love to say a brief prayer with you. I'll invite um, Curtis and Kendi and, and Christy will be up here. But please, I don't want today to be a time you look back on and have regrets saying, I wish I would have followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I know it'll take boldness, it'll take courage. Um, but guys, it, it's worth it. It's meaningful. What could Christ do? How could the gospel resound in your life if you're willing to take a step to say, I want to see this relationship reconciled. I want to see this broken uh, relationship healed. Are you willing to do that today? Because there's no offense too small. Let's glorify God today in our boldness, in our willingness to be peacemakers.